Hi, this is Shannon Wong-Lerner, PhD and communication coach and consultant. And I'm Monifa Harris, a vocal coach. Together, we formed the podcast Ephemeral Voice Matters. And today, our episode is on turning the spotlight with spotlight within listening to your own voice. Yeah, this so today on this episode, we're going to be talking about the subjects of how we've experienced listening to ourselves, what happens with your voice when when listening, and what happens with your breath when listening. And what do you do when you get tired of the sound of your own voice? And even so, tired of your own company. I forgot that part. <laughs> <laughs> and we we came up with this idea because we were thinking about right now, everyone being in, in a quarantine situation and feeling stuck in our homes and the sort of restlessness that's happening right now as we are stuck in our homes. I don't know about you, but Manifa, but I know for me, I am a bit of a germaphobe already. And I guess it is a good time to be a germaphobe. <laughs> so I don't right. want to be out at all, you know, because people are not practicing social distancing. Yeah. And so I, I am in a lot. Yeah. So am I, you know, me, I have, I've I got a nice big buffer. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I know because I went out one time, I didn't even go into the store and I was paranoid the entire time. And I was like, I can't live like this. I'm just going to avoid the entire situation. So yeah, um, kudos to all of you dealing with all the germs that are possible in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it is kind of embarrassing with whomever you're with, if you're there, not used to being around someone who's vocal, who's telling people to get back away from us because we don't want to be around them, which happened to me recently at the park. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've, I have been thinking a lot about this and I've been thinking about the different work that Manifa and I do in terms of the type of work I do with breath and meditation and self-awareness and then awareness of environment and the type of work that Manifa does with voice and just thinking about what does this topic mean of turning the spotlight within? How can we even approach this? I think it is a good time to talk about that, you know, despite, uh, or I guess, especially because of everything that's going on and the kind of fear that we're feeling. And we are, this is something we haven't experienced before. Mm. And so for me, it's been a process of learning how to trust my own voice. And I know you've heard it before, but as someone who is newly out, I think a lot about how before I perhaps didn't trust my voice because I was so busy with daily life. I wasn't able to have the time and the space to just be still and to be quiet and to just look within and look at what was actually there. And since all of this happened, you know, with COVID-19 and the virus, I have had that time within my practice to do that. And I've been able to figure out and think about what it means to listen to myself and what's going on within myself, but also how that, when all of this ends, well, I think, well, I know you could probably share this example with your husband, but it's, it's difficult when you can't go outside and then you're sort of with whomever you're with in your domestic situation 24 seven. Yeah. It can be, I mean, it can be wonderful in some ways. It can be challenging. So I know that, listening is paramount right now. So not just to yourself, but to the people who are 
closest to you now that we're with them all the time. And then yeah. ends, how this practice of listening and thinking about what's going on within you can transfer into what's going on within someone else and just think reflecting on that. Oh, yeah. and, and, and yeah, because this, what's going on with you is always what's going on in somebody else. Like it's and what you, what you see that's going on with other people is also going on in you. Um, and, and the example of my husband was just that um, I told him I had a recording and usually if I tell him I'm like on an interview or a recording, he's just like, okay. And then he'll either leave or he'll just like literally be silent, which is really hard for him because he's a nervous ticker. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, I told him that today and he, he said something like, I don't know. He said something like, um, well, I guess we'll just have to hear my noises. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm just not going to be in this room. <laughs> I didn't tell him <laughs> that. But instead of like sitting there and being like, well, he has no right to make noise while I'm recording. I just left, you know? Yes. Um, and so when he, uh, when he realized I was like taking like everything out of the room <laughs> to do my recording, he was just like, like what, what? Like and he was on the phone. So it was like I could have a conversation with him. And I was just like, I told you I was doing a recording. Like, so I'm going to do my recording, right? So, but for us, it's, it's very normal. We're very vocal. Well, he's really vocal. I'm very vocal with him, maybe not with everybody else. Um, <laughs> and so we're used to arguing, you know, we, mm -hmm. we're used to arguing, like stating what we don't like and then dropping it because that's, mm -hmm. you know, because <laughs> life, we're going to have different opinions. We're two different people, right? Um, and so, and so, yeah, so that's, that's what happened, but we're used to being around each other all the time, you know, because mm. we have our own businesses per se. And, and so we have our own time and a lot of the work that we do for our businesses, we're together during that time. And I even worked in his business at one time and we worked together literally <laughs> for like 13 hours a day <laughs> and then came home and then ate and everything together. So it's not like, um, we're not used to that uh dynamic of like if you're irritable like tr it tends to rub off on other people so we learned mm -hmm. really quickly like oh we're just having a moment one of us is having a moment and then we let we just let the other person have their moment and just go do our thing you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's good it seems like you guys were equipped for this in a way with the life you were living before yeah, we're super lucky because, I mean, lucky if you want to call it that. <laughs> I mean, we've just, we've had a lot of trials in our relationship, you know, stresses that like most relationships wouldn't make it through. And I say that because, you, you know, like one of the biz biggest causes of divorce is um, finances. And we've mm -hmm. probably had, you know, I would say at least three to five times in a marriage where it was like dire straits, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's very easy to blame the partner when that happens. And it's, and, uh, and you just, you, you, you really have to be willing to do what we're talking about today is mm -hmm. that you've got to be willing to look at yourself and see um, what's really going on. Not just what you, you know, you perceive like the, you, it seems like on the outside, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you too, I feel like you have a lot of strength within yourselves and then together to be able to do that in difficult situations for sure. 
Yeah, we've definitely built up those muscles. (laughs) We've built them very well. And we're very sure because we've been in this situation again, we're very sure that if nothing else, if nothing else is working right in the world, we'd still rather be together, you know. It's really interesting too, because I think about when I've taken voice lessons with you. So, you know, for those of you who haven't heard the first episode, we talked about how Manifa and I met and we met through Craigslist and I was teaching her yoga and for a trade for voice in which I ended up studying opera. And I remember something, (laughs) something you told me really early on that you have to like really trust yourself and how you're feeling about something you're doing vocally rather than listening for yourself because people like beginning singers will listen for this pretty sound and but it's actually not what they're hearing just the very anatomy of our ear being here and our mouth mouth being here and our ears being here right it's like yeah you don't (laughs) it's not actually what you're hearing and so all kinds of acoustical anomalies with the voice and yeah so what you hear of yourself is not what people hear from you And it's so Mm. interesting to me because how much more could it be about life than that, right? Like what you think that you're saying (laughs) to other people might not always be what people hear based on their perceptions. And so you have to be willing to stop listening, you know, just from your side of what's going on and really look and put your awareness on the outside. So what I wanted to give the example of is um, when you're practicing, like if you ever practice mm-hmm. in like a in a in a practice room at a university or something like that, or if you ever practice in an auditorium, even like mm-hmm. the sound changes depending on the room. The same way that your the perceptions change depending on who you're speaking to, right? Um, and like if when you're what you sound like <laughs> to yourself in the practice room is not going to be what you sound like to yourself in an auditorium, right? And the, the auditorium obviously is going to have a different resonance or acoustic response than the practice room itself. I say, if you have to listen to yourself while you're singing, um, put your focus on the whatever bounces back from the wall, right? Mm. So whether it's what bounces back from the practice room wall, which is going to be immediate and really satisfying <laughs> uh, because those rooms are sickly tiny, um, but, <laughs> but it's good for focus. And then there's the auditorium where it's going to take a, a beat, right? It's going to take a little longer to hit a wall and get back to you. But you still have a better idea if, if what you're saying is clearly hitting the wall or if it's just like kind of washing back in this kind of reiterating waves of sound. So how focused or clear what you're saying or singing is, to me, they're synonymous. And, um, and then also it kind of, also is to me the equivalent of looking from an outside perspective, right? Which I know you're gonna talk about this a bit more in the and when we speak about breath and yoga, where the whole point of, of those practices and any practice, and I consider singing to be a practice for me, is that we can we can see ourselves as as an instrument, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we can look at our own thoughts, we can look at our own ways of being, we can look at our own like outcomes from this place of, huh, like an outside perspective. Huh, I said that, is that really, is that how I sound? Oh, okay. Like, you know, and just like realizing that everything 
um, it's really just coming through this tool that's a body. You're not the not the body, right? You're you're the person that could observe the body and and see what it's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very yoga. Too. Yeah, super. That's super Buddhist, right? Like, like, <laughs> have you ever heard of like, um, you know, you are you are not the body. You are the you are not the mind, right? Mm-hmm. You um, you are the spirit that observes both, right? Hmm. And you can think about voice and breath in that way too. How it's been. You know, I know the Hebrew word for breath is ruach, and mm. but that also means spirit. And so it is this, you know, whether you're spiritual or religious or not, you know, we have different terms in yoga. We talk about it as energy, which is something to me that's universal. When you walk in the room and someone has strong energy, you pick up on it. It either attracts you to them or repels you, or it's just very even keel and neutral. Mm. And so I think there is something that carries that in a way that is invisible, but it's still that much present with breath and with voice. And I think what you're saying, that idea of when I, when you were talking, I was imagining, you know, a voice that was like ringing almost in the room or when voices are aligned, like when we do the Aum at the end of yoga, Aum, you know, and I was doing it alone yeah, uh, last night for a recording, but then I was thinking about our, the performance we did where we had those uh, meditation, what are they called the singing bowls? And we were singing, it was actually vibrating from the bowls back out into the space. And I thought, yeah. it's so wonderful when you can come together like that with breath practice and then, and then conclude with voice and actually hear it manifest all that work you've done inside. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. When, when you're um, when you're in sync, you're in sync. Uh, you know, that's one of the beauties of, of any practice that as you work the practice, you realize like how much things flow better when, when, yes. you've, when you've had a good practice, when you've had a good yoga session, when you've had a good practice session, like you're usually, at least for me, like everything's brighter. I'm happy. Like I'm breathing easier. I'm, you know, usually a little bit more excited about what's next like what are we doing I can even get excited about going to the grocery store which is not my thing um everything's better after a practice session and I say that because I I recently took up golf and that was one of my experiences and I realized huh this is how I feel after I sing like what you took a what a bath golf session so we we were yeah yeah, so (laughs) Uh, so yeah, after golf, like you, um, I'm just, I'm just starting. So working with like the driving range and stuff like that. So after we had done that for an hour or so, um, Daryl asked me if I wanted to go to the grocery store and I was like, yeah, sure. And, <laughs> and that like, is not your That's thing. not my thing. Like I usually, there's like <laughs> the list of things that are important and that I want to do is like usually about a hundred on top of going to the grocery store. And <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And then um, I was like, so I was right. This is before the, you know, the stay at home. So I, I went to the grocery store. I'm like, huh, this is, so, you know, looking at the fruit. I'm like all excited. And I'm like, why am I so happy to be in the grocery store? And I realized huh, this is how I feel after I sing. Like, I, I think everything's cool. I think everything's happy. I think everything's great, you know? 
you're generating energy like it makes me think of like how a lot of times I think people will the old-fashioned or traditional or western if you want to call it way of learning or grasping something is that we have a pressure to take something from the outside and absorb it on the inside but what if you think about it more yogically or in the way that I know that you practice and teach voice and coach and voice it's more this idea that and I know with yoga because that actually means yoke to bring together to unify, unify everything, something within yourself and what is around mm -hmm. you. And so to me, rather than being the pressure to take something from the outside and absorb it within, as if you're not enough within, to me, you start from the inside and know you have everything you need within you. And then you add from the outside, you connect, oh, for sure. right? You like, almost like putting Legos together, <laughs> like you, you start to put those pieces together with something you already know right. something that you can know intimately because it's you and that it's a very mm -hmm. um and once you really have that time and really have that experience it's, it's a very uh steady or or solid thing that you don't you you know what's so scary about the world is that it's always changing <laughs> right mm -hmm. um and even ourselves like we're always changing but that is that's the the again the body version of of us right like when when we do these practices of finding the center point of of us like yoga then we realize that point that because they have to call it like a thousand different things but that spindle point or that um uh there's another word i was going to use um but that point doesn't change yeah, and mm -hmm. it, so it, it, like what I find so interesting about practices is a, you know, Buddhist path. Whether you're talking about Buddhist, or you're talking about Indian, or um, you're talking about African, like ancient cultures, all of them um, bring up a lot of the exact same things. And this point, mm -hmm. um, I think it's the the Bindu point. I don't think I'm saying that right, but the the that point is the same in all of those practices. Um, mm -hmm. And so. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think it's very telling. Very. <laughs> yeah, one thing I think about too is is navigating this new notion of space since COVID nineteen happened and how that's changed. It sounds like we, you and I, and we haven't seen each other in person in a long time, but we have a the similar sense of what the risk of being outside and people not practicing social distancing and the risk that puts us under and then maybe, you know, I live with my, my mother. So what the risk it puts her under as an elder. Mm -hmm. And, and so rather than thinking about being stuck inside taking these practices that we already have, and that we're already doing and that we share with other people, and reorienting how we think of space within the way we move in these practices, and the way we, um, are embodied, right? So I think about, you know, with meditation, I have like a very small space to from which to navigate. And the space sometimes is invaded by sound or animals, cats, you know, and, and I have to think about how can I move in a different way within the space. So I still feel free, I still feel healthy. Uh, I still feel like I am taking care of myself yeah. and not, not relying on things on the outside, which I think can be this dangerous loop that, that I think 
we could get that we get into and we maybe we'll have to really think about that just in terms of consuming in terms of the different markets that we're a part of and how they are you know having a a negative effect on the earth on our earth and on our health so this is something that we can think about after this time or hopefully we're thinking about it right we can continue to think about it you know after this time well i think it's it's definitely um, something that has been in need of examination. Uh, these, how we want to relate to our own lives and how we want to relate to each other and all of our dynamics of community and country and society and economy. I think this provides that very, maybe not asked for, but needed pause to really reflect mm-hmm. on if um, we're living the way that we want to live, right? Like, if, um, yes. I think a lot of times when we're just making it from one point to the next and we're just trying to make the best decision for where we are, that we, we continue to make decisions along the path of whatever has already been set up instead of how we would have liked to be set up from the beginning. And then, so when you mm-hmm. have this, very deliberate and very um, universal almost pause where everybody has to stop at the same time. And in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, obviously we have our essential workers that are still at it, but with this much of society on pause, we really get the chance to say, huh, have I been doing things the way I want to do them? You know, as in incredibly insane as <laughs> some of the things that are going on in the world is we, we honestly don't have time to figure out mm-hmm. you know if this is the way it should be or how can I change yes. this and this time this now there's almost you know compared to any other time in our life there's nothing but time to to mm-hmm. figure out if this is how the, we want to keep going and I think you'll mm-hmm. find that a lot of people are going to be, well, they probably already have, this is one of the fun things to me, it's like over this last period, we probably already have had these ideas of, oh, if I, you know, you know, I have a little bit more time, I'm going to flesh that out. If I had a little bit more time, I would do this. If I had a little bit more time, I would do that, right? And so I really feel like this pause is allowing the germination of those things, you know? Hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really, you know, very cool to think about just what that means being put on hold when something is being put on hold or when we don't feel in a rush, you know, to do something before we're ready and we have this time to be really contemplative. I actually had someone, another consultant coach, talk about that recently with me because I was making all these suggestions about social media and he wanted to get on social media. So he was asking me questions and I told him to, that I'd ask you questions. So I have to remember <laughs> to do that, <laughs> ask you questions. But then he, so he's in the middle, middle of, um, you know, a religious observation and just said like, like, I don't have to do this right now. Like I'm taking care of myself. Like I'm fasting. I'm doing this whole thing that yeah. I need to do. And it was actually really jarring to me because I'm always, even during the COVID, I'm like, go, go, go. Like, I, like, what can I do? What can I do? I'm going to start, you know, five different, eight different, 10 different projects, and then just keeps growing projects. And then he was, you know, 
he was putting a limit on it because he knew he had to finish and follow through with this other thing that was personal. It was spiritual, religious, and it was part of his identity. And it made me really think about that in, you know, like our practices with breath and meditation, like when is it okay to just be still? When is it okay to, you know, take care of yourself, to think about your practices of self-care which to me are number one, because without that, you don't have the fuel to do all those things that you're talking about, which I think are so important. Yeah. And how does that bring us back to practices of voice and breath to create the spaces that we want around ourselves, just us, then the spaces for uh, like our house and the people in the house and then outside when we return to being more public beings. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that in our different practices. Yeah. What is that okay? Well, so what do you think? It made when you said that it made me think of something that I've been doing, you know, again just before this stay at home thing, which was I've been doing this practice of meditation, but I took all the mm-hmm. practice out of it because because oh. what I was noticing was kind of the same thing as I felt like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do my yoga. I'm going to do my meditation. I'm going to do <laughs> my business. I'm going to do, 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 <laughs> right? And so I noticed that I was, even though it was the stuff that I was passionate about, I was choosing all the things, you know, uh, stuff that I wanted to do, I was starting to get this kind of lackadaisical feeling of, okay, I guess it's time to do, I guess it's time to do. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, it was recommended to me that um, this practice of meditation where I, but there was no, there's, that there's no rules to. So as I call it my nothing. Mm. So it's this idea essentially of going back to the being, just being, being and mm-hmm. um, being the animal that you are, like that, that you don't have to be doing mm-hmm. to be a being, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so no requirements of anything except for that I'm leaving space to just be, right? So mm-hmm. I, I can do anything. I can sit any kind of way. I can, you know, I can lean over on my pillow if I want to. I can get a cup of water. I can get a cup of tea. I can, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then it does come back to a bit of stillness. Like I won't let my, because normally, I, my mind might cycle through a problem or what's the, what's the next thing that I'm going to do or even if I'm not doing anything, I'm still thinking, right? So thinking is a form of doing because again, thinking or your mind is not who you are, right? So I let the thought happen and then I let it go like most meditative practices. Um, but, but in essence, it's a, a lot of nothing. So minimize mm-hmm. the, the amount of right in a room so I'm not looking around thinking about stuff that I'm looking at mm-hmm. like I minimize the amount of sound that I'm getting so sometimes I'll put in my earplugs um, to just dampen the sounds that come at me so I'm not thinking about what I'm hearing you know that kind of thing but other than that it's a lot of nothing and I love it <laughs> it's one of my favorite really, things it's really cool yeah I think that that is really important is like having a practice for something that we can think of traditionally, but then also how do we carry that practice into real world, you know, everyday rituals and things that we're doing. And I actually, I think about that because one of the 
the things that I do is a meditation, one of the meditation pages, and they're like short meditations, the other one I do are, are long. So I was doing one where I was walking in the river and thinking about like questioning, like, what does meditation mm. even mean? You know, in the 17th, 18th century, in in England, there was this notion of meditation as just thinking, contemplating, and then the kind of religious poetry that came from that, and then connecting with God, and then in the 19th century with Thoreau and Walt Whitman connecting to nature and this notion of the sort of the sublime, you know, uh, wonders of nature and then connecting to that as a, as a man, mm -hmm. but I say as a person, <laughs> they said as a man. And so, um, and then when like industrialization came in, you know, trains and different things, they, they, they had to start incorporating that into their meditation. At first they were like supremely peed off because they were like, <laughs> like how like this is messing up my nature and my meditation and what this is supposed to be but then they realize like this is what it's going to be like now like I have to be flexible so I have to write a poetry about a po some poems about this damn train Walt Whitman did that and so it was very early like you know early mid 19th century and it was sort of like one of the first poems in that tradition where you know technology was a part of it so I just think I'm bringing that up because I think about I think it's really wonderful, like what you're saying, this idea that, and it makes me really think about your technique of, of teaching voice, is that it doesn't have to be the thing that you think it is formally. It's something you're already doing, and then you're mm -hmm. adding to that. Just like with meditation, you can really do it in the way you're talking about, which is great. All, at a fundamental level, it's taking a breath, you know, closing your eyes, seeing how you feel already without changing so that's like the natural breath and then doing a deeper breath to then change your physiology, right? Change yourself for the better and have an intention. And I think a lot of what I've learned with you with voice is that singing is not actually singing per se in the beginning, at least, or fundamentally, yeah. it's just speaking. Yeah. It's just sound. And, and that's, I always thought that was so cool because it took the pressure off and then it actually helped me develop my voice in this real way because it's all a part of you right it's it's amazing like the amazingness of the stuff that's inside of you and i think especially <laughs> when you're approaching singing formally i have a baby staring at me through a window and she's so cute um and uh, <laughs> but when you're approaching singing formally we always have this idea we're going to put on our our singer we're going to sing the thing mm -hmm. and we're going to sing well and we have this idea of what singing is, but we really have no idea what singing is. And um, and so I always <laughs> am getting back to a place where, you know, the point of, of song is essentially that there was some words that um, didn't explain everything, right? <laughs> one of my favorite, mm -hmm. I'm just going to sound like a tangent, but it's related in my mind. So one of my favorite things <laughs> um, in performance is Broadway when they the moment hmm. before they start a song like that's one of my favorite things hmm. in, in in performance ever um and it's because it's to me it makes sense because when i'm like kind of just sitting or contemplating or i'm at a window some form of of music comes to me right and mm -hmm. um and i might not have words i don't always choose to use words um, but I'll, I'll start making noises and I'll start humming or I'll start doing something. And it's just natural to me. Um, and 
there's times when, especially before I was this aligned, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that, but like, you know, before I, I was me now, I had a really hard time saying what's on my mind, especially to strangers right away. And, a thousand mm. and yeah. one of the things that I loved about Broadway also was that um, when they couldn't say directly to the person or they were just exploding with emotion and it wasn't directly applicable to the scene, they just broke out into song. Mm-hmm. Broke yeah, out yeah. into song it, and it dance. It so much sense to <laughs> me because, I, yes, because like <laughs> if they were like, if they would just go away, I could totally express myself and I would have a whole <laughs> lot to say, right? Um, and so <laughs> like when people say like, I don't like musicals because they're so not real. I'm like, in what way? Like, totally, it's real to me. (laughs) And, um, but I feel that way. I feel that if you really, if you're really paying attention, there's always the time to break into song, right? And, right, there's always the time. Like, um, one of the, You're reminding, oh, you're reminding me when I was at Barnes & Noble and I first started singing. And I would actually do that. So I would actually be dressed in my outfit to sing. And then uh, if I liked a customer and then I told them I was a singer and they said, oh, I want to hear you sometime. Like, come on, let's go to the history section. And I would like put on the show and start singing, you know, but it would also just help with the boredom of that retail job, just being able to be this kind of living solo musical. I love it. Yeah. And what I was thinking about was the, the fact that I just started working on this song. That's an old Italian song, a Handel song um, about a tree, about a, it's literally about a plane tree mm-hmm. and the fact that the guy wants to sit under the plane tree. And while that might seem like not as awesome as all the lovely, passionate Italian <laughs> love songs, right? Um, I find it, again, very real because I love trees like and like Mm -hmm. what you were talking about before Mm -hmm. if you're just looking at any part of nature and writing a poem about that like that's what that song is to me right and I'm probably even Mm -hmm. handling um that it was just part of what you did at the time and um and so when I get to sing that song I get to express this deep passion about a tree when you Remember how weird it used to be that people hug trees? Now it's actually a thing. And now we know about grounding. And now we know all these amazing things that being in tune with nature brings to us in our way of being. So I think, yes, we can always take even the smallest things and make them passionate. And I think that goes back to this idea of, you know, being versus doing and what performing is. And even thinking about voice at that fundamental level of being something that we're doing all the time, not something you need special training for, you know, to start at least, or, and, and also with breath, it's something that's something that you're already doing. And if you think about this, I was just thinking about, you know, some, cause I've been trying to marry this notion of queerness and LGBTQ uh, IA with, with, meditation practice and going within and thinking about, you know, how identity a lot of times will be based on how we look on the outside, whether that has to do with queerness, putting something on and having an expression of queerness, or whether that has to do with, um, you know, some cultural aspect 
of your background or your nationality or your race or your religion, but it also has to do with that presence and that innateness. That's something that you just know who you are. And even if you stripped away the sort of outside the costume or whatever you're doing to fulfill that expression, you still are who you are and you know who you are. And I feel like when you do a breath practice or when you do a voice practice, you get the closest to that innateness, but you also, it's also part of your identity too. It's like, I don't know, maybe we could talk about that well, a little bit. Uh, what that reminds me of is this idea that you don't, you, know, you don't have to be anything but yourself, right? Like you already mm -hmm. are. Uh, we, we're constantly sure. proving to others and therefore having to prove to ourselves because we don't know what we're proving um, that we are, <laughs> that we, that we, you know, I think of singers a lot of times and, and the way that it used to bug me to no end when somebody, when I, mm -hmm. you know, if I said I was a singer and somebody would say, well, sing something, you know, like, yeah. That's for a long time. That's why I didn't tell anybody I was a singer. Because number one, I you hmm. know I don't work for you. Number two, <laughs> I'm not that kind of singer. <laughs> you know, you're you you're a, a very yes. you know you love performing, and so somebody asking you to sing was like yes, performance and aisle history, right? <laughs> and I'm mm -hmm. somebody who loves to sing for and by myself. If I share that, mm -hmm. it's a choice. It's a very specific choice and it's a sure. very intentional thing right um and so mm. so like you had to prove yourself you it was almost like you had to that you're, which you're, is that weird senior. like well no do you prove are you going to do some surgery my 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 boss asked me that one day and that's what I said to him it was, it was after a day-long conference in which I was in charge of registration and he uh, was driving me back to my house and he was like, sing something for me. And I was like, why don't you do a surgery? <laughs> and I was like, sorry, a little tired. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I wasn't going to apologize because to me it was the equivalent in, in my book, you know? And it's true too, because I think sometimes people don't know, especially if it has to do with artistry, you know, they don't understand the years it took you to get to that point, or even like some of the stuff I do with communication. I had a client ask me recently, uh, well, for transparency's sake, what do you do that I can't just spend 12 weeks looking on the internet to figure out? And I was just really stunned. I was like, yeah, I don't think we're maybe a good fit for, <laughs> to work together because yeah, it was just such okay. a disrespect of my skill set and something that I, it's taken me decades to be able to do at the level I do. And at the same time, right. I didn't feel like I had to prove myself to her for her to work with me. I was just <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think, I think I gave her some really good re resources of yeah. things that she yeah. could use to do that. That's wanted to spend right, 12 right. weeks doing that instead of for three hours. Yeah. You should do yeah. that. And I, and I, and I say the same thing, like you totally can go in a room and, and work with your own voice forever and ever, um, and not ever need a teacher. But for, unfortunately, 
it takes a really long time. And it's just not without having some yes. kind of mentor. It's not like piano where you can see if your hand is in the same position as the guy on the YouTube channel. Um, it's not like, you know, and it's like, this is pretty much, um, and, and even to know something intimately, I think even for piano and stuff like that, you want a teacher. You want somebody who's been through it and can tell you where you are in the process and, and, and get you to where you would like to be a little bit faster, you know? And then again, that's mostly for people who actually are working on improvement, but the practice is for you and you alone. Yeah. The practice is really important. I have a client right now who practices a new client. I had one last time I was told the same similar story too, but she yeah. practices every day. And so when we have our lessons, she already yeah. has her own thing going on. So it's almost like, I'm, I'm still guiding her every step of the way, but it's almost like closer to us being equals, you know, in terms of our knowledge base, because she has her knowledge based on her experience and it's been building and up every really single cool day. And it's really cool when that happens because so they have her, great questions so of cool. experience where you can yeah experience. And her body is in, her body is informing right. her as, she, as yeah. we go, you know. And she's integrated. And so rather than being frustrated, which is fine because people all have different amounts right, of right, time right. that they can spend on this, but rather than relying on me so as, as someone who is going to do it for them or whatever, which I can't really do. I can do it the best I can in the sessions. It's we're, yeah. we're coming together. And yeah, I have so a, wonderful. a musician uh, we have really that I'm teaching right now. And it's the same. It feels very similar because we, we, already an, a professional music instrumentalist and mm -hmm. so it really helps to have that as the backdrop of what we talk about because mm -hmm. I don't have to retrain him on you know what sheet music is I don't have to retrain him on um, getting into yes. the line of the music I don't have to retrain him on all these things that um, that to me again I feel like it's kind of innate but we you have to bring awareness to when you're speaking with somebody with without that practice of awareness and um and it's so fun mm -hmm. because you're just like and yeah and this and yeah and this and you can really like develop co concepts you know <laughs> out of it i actually this works works really well for me with you too because we end up talking about it in the aspect of of art and communication right of performance and presence we yeah. can have that same conversation. It gets really mm -hmm. interesting. Um, I've had really great experiences of talking to this with people who do energy work. So the energy work, so there, you might, people mm. call themselves healers sometimes, uh, uh, that kind of person. Mm. And I can talk to them about like how energy works and how it feels when energy moves and how, and then they can really, and that really mm. actually is the closest thing to me, to singing, because it's really about catching the wave of energy more than it is about, about all the other steps, all the other steps so that you can be aware of the fact that the energy is moving, right? So, so yeah, so I find that really fun to just to, to mix those lovely conversations. And the more you have your own experience of whatever you do with, with excellence or attention, awareness, precision, then you can really have some beautiful conversations all the way around. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, it's, 
it's this idea of building community and community doesn't have to be a big group of people. Community yeah. can just be two people to me. I mean, that is a community. And so I do think, you know, what we're doing together is communal, like we're building community with one another. And then by sharing this conversation and what we do, you know, to, to, for the benefit of others, mm -hmm. that's building a community with our podcast and then all the other little millions of things that we both of us do because we both have our hands yeah. in so many different things <laughs> is continuing that conversation. But I, I love the idea of going back to practice because I know we had like a whole, you know, we had a whole episode on that, but that idea is so empowering that, you know, you can teach someone something uh, and give them homework or, you know, I'm constantly asking people you know, how did that feel? And do this, you know, pronounce this word with this vowel and then do this other other word with this other vowel and close your eyes and try to imagine what's going on in your mouth. And you tell me what's going on. Then that creates, it's very similar to what you're doing. It's like creating muscle memory. It doesn't have to, I actually have diagrams of what it looks like, but uh, it's more important that they have that feeling and they can hold on to it as a muscle memory so they can when they go home and they're practicing, they can repeat it. And I remember doing that with you when I was learning how to sing operatically was very difficult for me. Like this process of, I can't, I can't even remember what was going yeah. on. It was very emotional for me and sp I think spiritual too, just to allow my body to do what it was yeah. meant to do and what it could do. That was very hard for me to do. But I, I did notice that if I practiced the day after, or even like, the morning after I had done a lesson with you and I had written down notes, I was much more likely to take what you had taught me and make it my own and then let that circulate just like a breath right. practice circulates. Right. And make it my own. And then, um, and then it was so empowering to know that I could grow and cultivate this thing on my own and then come back to you and oh. get the next step and then continue to cultivate and just keep going back and forth. And it made our, I feel like our relationship, you know, not our friendship as well as part of that, but our, our working relationship, it made it so it was such a, it was so generative to me in my own teaching practice to think about that. Like, how am I allowing my students to grow? This is when I was teaching at UNC Chapel Hill. And how am I, you know, not just telling them what to do or being strict, yeah. although I was kind of strict teacher because I, I, pu I pushed them really hard but also allow for them to grow and generate things on their own. So that when I was pushing them hard, it was right. something that they were creating. It was not what I was. Well, I did have lots of expectations on what I wanted them to create uh, at the level. I wanted I them know. to create the checkpoints, right? Um, and when you can set mm -hmm. those checkpoints, it reminds them back you taught them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things I love to do is I, love to tell people once I've given them the exercise I wish they would do at least 100 times every day uh, <laughs> in my in my dreams yeah. what happens um and that the one exercise I tell them like at least three points but I'm pretty sure they're going to have during a day which is um a point where they're like really tired or get unfocused a point where they get really frustrated or angry um and a point where they need to relax like they just need to let go of everything for the day. Yeah. And so 
um, I'm pretty sure that they'll remember at one of those three points during the day that they'll do it at least once a day, right? Um, and so that's kind of, again, mm. like I'm like just sending like little sticks in the ground. Okay, did you hit that point yet? Did you hit that point yet? Maybe they didn't do it the first time. Maybe they didn't do it the second time. Maybe they didn't do it the third time. But the fourth time when they're ready to smack their child, they're like, maybe I should be, right? <laughs> maybe I should try <laughs> that breathing thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I think it's great if they get those hallmarks, and, and I think with teaching a certain curriculum, you really, you have to direct the curriculum. That's a point of having curriculum is to have, you have to direct the curriculum so that they hit those checkpoints, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you have to. It's, it's really interesting because like with this one client that I'm thinking of, I noticed that because she is practicing so much and bringing so much to the table and then like things that I don't expect because mm. she's experiencing them in her way, it allows for me to teach her in, uh, and I teach everyone in a specialized, individualized way, but it helps me, it keeps me on my feet. And then I come up with things for her in that moment specifically for her that I've never done for anyone else because it is specific for her situation and what I know she can do and what I know she's open to. And so it's really cool to think about that in terms of breath and voice as well, is that to me, some of the hardest practice for people that are even, and especially for people that are highly accomplished, you know, A-type people. Um, I know I'm kind of like, <laughs> someone called me that recently and I said, I am not, I am not. And then I started thinking about, I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm yeah, A-type <laughs> person. <laughs> But I mean, there are times I'm very mellow and silly and playful. But then when it comes, yeah, to I remember work, the first time Daryl called me an and A type, so, and I was just like, "No way, I'm not." And I was just like, saying that because <laughs> you you were similar in that way. Like you can be very mellow, and you can be very, you know, like you're the person who yeah. is calming the room. But then when you perform, it's like, you know, you're the you're like a very energetic presence in the room. And then so those things together, I mean, to me, that is part of breathing practice. And what you need to sing is you need to know when to be, to be active and activated and active, activate your voice and be at like a hundred and 199%, I don't know. And then, and you, and then you also right. need to allow your body to rest and, and to really let things go so you oh, can yeah. reset and do it again. And so those th two things always go together. I actually heard a yoga teacher say that recently, that what we're doing with this practice with yoga, and I feel like it's what I do with the practice with yogic breath, with meditation and the communities that I serve is I am, yeah, I'm teaching them to do things for sure, but I'm also equally teaching them to just be and to allow, retrain their bodies to rest. So when they need to rest, their body will automatically go to that and not just keep building the anxiety, keep, keep building the stressors, which they think in their mind is going to push them to the next level so they can get something done. Well, but really, it's just going to break them the down. The highest energy is so long before you are exhausted. So you exhaust yourself, you, you run out yes. of the steam. And that's usually when we quit projects. That's usually when we stop wanting to show up. That's usually when we don't we aren't even thinking of performing. It's like, no, don't ask me anything about being a singer. I'm mm -hmm. not that right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's how, that's where I get to the point. It's like, yeah, I used to be a singer. <laughs> I don't even want to acknowledge, you know, at least I was there for, for a little bit. 
I would say about it, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. I was just like, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. It's like I kept thinking, oh yeah, I'll probably sing in the future, but I'm not a singer right now, you know? Uh, mm. It's interesting. Those, and it, that, no, 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 I'm no, sorry. Am I interrupting? Cause I wanted to say something. I was thinking about those labels, you know, back to those labels and back to what practice and what, doing these things actually are as compared to what we think they are. I, I actually, the the person I'm seeing right now is really concerned. uh, Well, I feel like they're really concerned. They're somewhat concerned about me, this notion of me coming out and feeling like I have to label myself a certain way to fit in. Well, I, I don't know if that's what I'm doing, but (laughs) they were concerned that maybe I was doing it rather than it, fully embracing who I am and who I'm coming to be that it could be putting me in a box so I feel safe and on top of that even identifying as well queer gay lesbian take the queer out and then it's like a it could be a hierarchical thing right uh it isn't (laughs) because that's who I feel I am and I add the queer because I am you know uh open to seeing people who are non-binary and trans too so that it doesn't really fall in it should fall into the gay and lesbian, but it doesn't always, especially mm-hmm. the non-binary part, I think. So, um, but we think about that. It's really scary to go into something and have an expectation, you know, I am going to be this thing in, in the standard and status that is held for me as compared to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to open myself up to practices. I'm going to open myself up to exploring who I really am and feeling really good in this thing that I know I really am. And I'm going to allow for myself to change in the way I'm supposed to be changing. That, that That's is really scary. The, the realest point we can be in, but it is true that um, we tend to allow people to put pressure on us so that our thing looks enough of a certain way. I think we spoke about this a little bit when we were talking about mm-hmm. our culture and race and how, um, I don't know if we said this actually on, on, on podcast, but I'll, I'll use the reference of, of culture and being African-American and not speaking Black enough or not being yes. ethnic enough. I don't know yes. what the actual thing is. And I used to care, but I don't anymore. <laughs> um, but just fitting in, right? <laughs> fitting in so that you can call yourself the thing without people being like, really, really? I don't know. I'm listening to you on podcasts and I'm not getting black, you know? So, <laughs> um, so you know, that I think will we... I've never, I've never, I've never thought of that, what you just said. I've never thought of that, of someone saying that. I'm sorry. You hear it from your own people, right? You don't hear it from other people. You hear it from your own people. Are you sure you're queer? Because maybe you're just trying this on for now. Are you, you know what I'm saying? Are you sure? uh, Being a a femme, you know, being someone who's more femme identified, although I don't, I don't know. I'd like to think all femme, but. I am a lot femme. <laughs> so, you know, I recently went into a space that was an old fashioned um, GLBTQ space. They added the other <laughs> letters, but I didn't feel it when I walked in. And then they, you know, I was talking to them and then, um, and then the other partner came in and I was not 
welcomed. I mean, I already felt not welcomed yeah. by the first person, but they were trying at least. But being being femme, you know, having my cute little outfit on, going in there you're was like, the right mm, you're not the right kind of gay. Sorry, That's pretty much. <laughs> and it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say this in in singing too, and and being a performer of any art, that you aren't always the same kind of performer. Um, for me, and yeah, and the way I like to work with my students is it's about the internal exploration first. And it's about it being mm. a restorative practice more than um, a thing that you do mm. so you can get uh, approval and, and recognition from others. And I find yes. that it needs to more of that, even for people who are what I call pure performers, where they, their primary desire to do is from the desire for recognition. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What I'm addressing is the fact that mm-hmm. if you're not getting that recognition, then you don't feel enough, right? If you're not getting that recognition, you're not valuing. Have you had, have you had that? For sure. Have for you sure. had that like, happen to you? And it wasn't necessarily in the beginning, it was either unacknowledged or um, it wasn't necessarily my own thought. It was pretty much what was given to me by my teacher, which was that if I was a singer, then I do mm. this. And if I'm a singer, then I do that. And if I'm a singer, then you, you should have certain experiences, right? Um, and so for me in the beginning, it was just, it was about more of the, uh, the experiences as far as will I, will I get to experience singing with an orchestra? Will I get to experience Mm. singing in an opera when you know before those things happened it was really me seeking the experience and so I found that as I was having the experiences my my desire to do was a lot less because of the other stuff that came with it all right and um Mm -hmm. and then I had that's when I around the time I started getting more and more per, per gig basically that I started having the other definition of, well, if you're a real professional, like I'm a professional because I get paid. If you're a real professional, then you have this experience and this experience and this is happening and that is happening. And, you know, mm. oh, have you had that experience? Well, then you're not real, right? And so having that pressure, mm. and again, this is coming from teachers. This is coming from all, all kinds of mm-hmm. really influential sources. And having that increased pressure is bringing me to a place where I, well, I was like, well, I'd rather, you know, rather than you feel pressured because I don't, I'm not, I'm not down to pressure. <laughs> I just felt like I was going to opt out. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I don't want that experience. Maybe I, maybe I'm not a professional singer. I don't care if you call me a professional singer or not. I don't care what you call me. I don't want, you know, I'll do what I want to do is basically how I felt about it. And then when I was kind of exploring, unpacking those things, like what part of this do I want and what part do I not want? And you get to make that decision. I remember us having that conversation. I was like really concerned because you were on this like straight and narrow career track and then you were changing it. And I was like worried because I was so accomplishment oriented at that time in a very narrow way. And not thinking outside of the box. I remember being concerned, but then I feel like the place you are now, where you are now, and like the things that you're doing are like so much, it seems like making you so much happier and so much more fulfilling. And you're 
you're open and you're available uh, to so many more right. people because what happens before. if you get stuck is that you just you don't yeah. have energy for everything else because it takes all your energies to do the one thing you don't want to sure. do and then yeah and then you're and that's how I don't know, maybe <laughs> this is a slippery slope argument but that to me that's how like bad habits happen like you're doing this thing you hate and then so you go home and then you watch TV or you eat a bad, bunch of bad food hate. or you, you know, you become an alcohol, you become an alcoholic. I don't know. I just think <laughs> of all the scholars I know who are alcoholics. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't yeah. say that. But it, it almost makes me think also like being the thing, whatever the thing is, you know, having all this criteria that was made for you to be the thing, whatever that is, the, the, mm -hmm. the certain type of opera singer a certain type of you know for me like r1 scholar working in an r1 research one university um as compared to being yourself and fulfilling that and what that means for you and if you're able to do that then you're really able to add to the art and the discipline rather than having the art and the discipline oh yeah you know, limit you and to me that's such a big difference and to me that is how you contribute not just to the art and discipline itself but to those around the art and discipline who perhaps are sticking their toes within it, but they understand it in a different way. It helps make meaning for them in their lives that perhaps is not just specific to the art and discipline, but it goes yeah, into other areas it, it of their lives. And at least, uh, you know, we call it art and the discipline of art. We've, we've been categorizing as only for professionals, meaning it's only worth something if somebody's paying mm -hmm. for it. That's, and when I broke down the mm -hmm. whole experience, sure. that's what I was objecting to. What? So singing and getting better at singing mm. is, only, is only useful if somebody pays you for it in the outcome? And I was just like, I don't, I don't accept that. Mm. And you get the certain recognition in the certain opera houses, you know, the right. different tiers of opera houses that they have. And for, for me, it would be publishing in the certain journals and going to the conferences of the certain universities and having the certain yeah, and scholars recognize me too, and because it kind of things all like that hold it in on itself you know the the in our in my my career path it was if you had a certain amount of performance experience and you can you can speak to a certain amount of things and topic and then at the end of the day when i decided to get my educational doctorate i would have the performance um the life experience and then i would have you know, mm -hmm. the ability of technique and uh, teaching over the years, and people would pay attention to that because of the accumulation of those experiences. And, um, and so again, I mm -hmm. felt this, my goal, again, was, I didn't say this part, but my goal was to be a teacher. I was performing so that I could mm -hmm. teach. And I was performing and, and working for names because I figured if I was uh, if I had worked for certain people, that people would believe that I'm a good teacher. And so mm -hmm. what I decided was that um, even, even if I did do those things, and I have in a way, like I, I have some big names in my, in my repertoire of, of uh, things that I've done, but I, I still hesitate to bring it up because what ends up happening is that back mm. to that first experience of somebody randomly asking me if I can sing. Why, well, you know, yeah, mm. I can sing. 
Because uh, you tell somebody a singer, I've heard this happen several times. You tell somebody you're a singer and they're like, well, are you a good singer? Have you ever had someone say that to me? That's so weird. Well, the the equivalent of that in academia, and I would say that, I would say not everyone is like this at all. It's just people that are insecure that I, in one time, and, or I've heard this several times when I, uh, when I was in academia, uh, someone who's like a very young scholar and they're talking about another person in their program. And then someone else is saying how important they are and how, what something that they did that was impressive. And then the person says, oh yeah, when I met them, you know, I didn't think they were smart. And I thought it was possible. It was a possibility that they weren't smart at all. And I was just like, oh my God. I remember hearing, <laughs> hearing that and just thinking, oh, oh yeah, like, you know, someone just made that. a stinky in the room, you know, it was just like, yeah, it was, it was, but at the time, I think being a first year in the doctoral program I was in, I felt very intimidated. I'm like, oh my God, am I smart enough? After I talk to this That's woman, is she going to, to say the same the thing I about like me? I like was constantly not pro- just proving that, but proving everything. Proving that I was smart, proving that I was interested, proving mm-hmm. that I could, proving that. And again, like you're pro- you end up proving to other people when the real question is, do you think you're smart? Do you think you can sing? Do you and what, what do you have to offer to the world? I think, you know, I, I do love, I still, you know, I, I'm not teaching at the colleges where I was before, but I loved that work, you know, in a lot of ways, especially when I was teaching the mm-hmm. API students, I really loved it. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> but I did love my time teaching, you know, and I, who knows, it might be a point when I go back to that. But um, it is interesting to think about what it means to take that outside of those institutions, whether it's an institution that is like the Met or, you know, these other institutions or whether it's the institution of academia, you know, what, what, how can we take what we've learned? Like, how can I take what I've learned from my time as an instructor or when I was getting my doctorate and I had to go through all that, those periods of, um, being tested all those levels of being tested what can I learn about that and how can I help the people around me who are going through similar things really that's what we get to pass on is your trials of what you were telling me like going through the auditions at the San Francisco opera was you said there's like nine auditions I mean that sounds very harrowing and yeah. And stressful, especially, you know, I've been through juries for music school where they are talk about you while you're in the room. Oh, I don't know if they're the supposed time to do that, but it feels terrible. <laughs> she and you're like standing right there. Well, I noticed she didn't do this. It's like, well, can't you wait until I leave the room and have that conversation where you're ripping me apart? And then they're still asking you to do things after yeah, they I've, do that. Uh, and I've so had rude. friends. Luckily, I've had a minimal of the amount of experiences in this regard but I've I've seen people like come out of auditions devastated and and somebody say stuff like um well they I just was sat like that. there and just talked like I wasn't there for like 10 minutes and then they asked me if I if I had yeah. this particular aria and I told them no it's not on my list because you give you you're supposed to give a list of the aria that you're ready to present oh no it's not on my yeah. list and they, they were like oh well you know and then they continued to have a conversation while she was standing there 
and they let her sing like one song and then they cut her off in the middle of the song. And you think about like what we're talking about, about the innateness of being and how these practices are supposed to bring that out. And I think that these other practices that to me have to be checked in terms of ethics and it doesn't just happen in these fields, but I think maybe these high pressure fields where people feel like they can act like that at a certain level. And what you're describing is like this supreme objectification. And like you said, checkpoints are important. Like when I, when you teach and when I teach, there are checkpoints and you want students to reach those levels, but you also want to to give them some, you want to treat them with respect. And there is that idea of scaffolding, right? Like the, the ladder and, you know, there's everything they've already done and you acknowledge yeah. that and then you just give them r- one rung at a time. I know there's highly competitive areas. Oh, that no, you're like climbing yourself for like that. the majority of the but, rungs. And then if you don't make it to the top, then they're like, what's wrong with you? Yes. Yeah. You, just, you could just like fall. You like, just like kind of fall. It's like, okay, good luck. Bye. You know, they're so like really that. Just, <laughs> you know, they're just like telling you to do things. They're not actually teaching you. That's what, that's what I've noticed even in like the high, mm. a lot of the high. And I think maybe that's cool. That could also be like the difference in how we're talking about teaching and learning with breath and voice is, is the giving of ourselves. And, you know, we had talked about that before is that when we entered into, uh, into this sort of teaching mode with one another, it wasn't like I was the expert and you were right. like, someone who didn't know anything and vice versa. It was like, you actually took what I knew and you worked with it and you reflected me, you know, with respect and with a lot of care. And it's how I felt nurtured and was able to start singing again after being in a place where I actually had vocal damage many years ago and I actually had vocal nodes because the person was so macho. And so it's kind of like, okay, go. And just gave me so much without tempering me. A lot of people just open you up and then they leave you to the the rocks, you know? And and to me, if you're not, if you haven't Mm -hmm. built the wherewithal and the awareness, then giving you, you know, a a big gun, (laughs) this is a good way of of hurting people, you know? Um, You you need the... (laughs) You need the awareness and the, the way of using it so you don't hurt yourself. If you open all the way up without a certain mm-hmm. level of, of muscle sure. control and um, interaction with your body, then, then it's like going straight to the, mm-hmm. the heaviest weights in the room in the, in the gym, right? You have to build up to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are going to strain yourself. You are going to feel like you failed. Yeah. Those things and are then, you that. know, yeah. Yeah. I think for sure. Example. So we didn't get to the. Um, so. Want to talk about the last part a little bit? The idea together about get what happens when you get tired of your own voice and how can you find some yeah. fun ways to be creative? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> what, are, what are your ideas? I, I don't know. What are your ideas? I love this part. We read it. We were thinking about this. <laughs> this uh, episode I was like this is brilliant um because we do we do get especially when you're by yourself and you have minimal interaction you get tired of the sound of your own voice and the reality is that you start to realize all the stuff that you were projecting onto others 
and having that experience. You're like, I feel this sure. way about myself. Yeah. This goes back to the idea of, you know, <laughs> just thinking that you're trying to prove to everybody else and everybody else keeps challenging you, but you're actually just proving it to yourself because you didn't believe it and that was being projected, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so if you're tired of the sound of your voice, the idea is that you, you got to stop taking yourself so seriously, right? Get Have some fun. This is, this is actually what I want to talk about. Yeah, I wanted you to talk more, but I'm going to follow so up. Our, our solution is get creative. <laughs> what? We're already talking about being creative. We talked about being creatively. We talked about creatively practicing yoga. And, <laughs> and my point is, is that not just creative so that you can get it right, creative so that it's just a natural extension of whatever you're already doing, but in a fun way, right? Right. Yeah. And playing, that's what I wanted to say, playing. So like, you know, the person who I'm in quarantine with, um, like Yay. I'm teaching them how to cook and it's like, so fun. yeah, it's like really fun. And then, you know, <laughs> and then they're like, yeah. you know, teaching me some things too. And actually the funny thing I was seeing when I started laughing, I was thinking about how I think when they first met me, they like kind of see yeah. me as this like really serious person all the time. And because I was going through a lot, like I had been hired for this job and it didn't work out and I ended up leaving and it was this big, you know, leap I had made and I had to leave and all this was happening in the beginning of our relationship. So then when they saw me, I was just yeah. like, yeah. like <laughs> thinking, yeah. like mad and, you know, it was just really, and then, and then all of a sudden they see the real me and I was thinking about actually during the quarantine we hadn't left the house in like two days and I just got kind of delirious. Well, we were both delirious, but I got really delirious. So I was, I woke them up in the middle of the night. I was just like talking and they were just like, what's happening? <laughs> you, I know you can imagine this because you know me. I was like, I thought it was being really funny. I was telling all these jokes. They were just like, oh, like, it was like three later and later. And I just kept talking and right. telling jokes. And I was having a great time. So that's your, your partner in the middle of the night. It's just, you know. Yeah, my partner wouldn't make it to the morning. They were <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> I think that there are fun things you can do. We're both, we both, uh, we both have a performance background. So we're talking about like, let's improve our crafts with the skill sets we have. Like, let's do this work that we said we were going to do like you had said like we didn't have enough time now we have so much time but let's let's you know start honing our craft again with the ways that we can help each other and so that's something you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do do a yoga class this weekend so uh just for us and so yeah I think they're all it's always about the fun part so the stuff that you can't, you shouldn't be taking to service. I know a lot of singers end up doing it anyways because we are all A types, whether we believe it or not, in one way or another. Otherwise, we just get to the thing instead of like worrying <laughs> over all the increments. Um, karaoke, right? <laughs> karaoke is the first thing that I that that comes to me. Like that to me is playing. You should not be worried about how well you sing the song with some random track and like. Hopefully remember all the words because you haven't heard the you know, yeah. really listen to the song in 20 years. Like 
not be stressed out about something like that. Things are not going to go mm-hmm. well. <laughs> and that's part of the fun <laughs> of karaoke, you know? Um, then there's, you know, and I've seen the total opposite, which to me is just, is, is uh, it's not, it's not playing. So therefore it's not karaoke in my opinion. Then there's uh, just the fact that you can, you can just make up stuff to do. But I've seen a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I saw this one guy, he's obviously an opera singer. He's obviously done roles before. Uh, and he just made a video compilation of him doing like three roles in Don Giovanni. <laughs> and he like did the different costumes. How fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he improvised, okay, improvised the things in his house, house, I'm assuming. He did it like in his and in the hallway yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like I feel like I feel like as opera singers like we need the and I don't know if I'm an official opera singer but I feel like opera singers oh, yeah. need things to be like full-blown dramatic so we couldn't just like, sing <laughs> I, at least in gesturally we're gonna do stuff but to have like staging yeah, and like fun. lights that and you know yeah but he props. did what was funny to me about it was that he did like there's obviously no lighting because he didn't have that um he, I would be surprised if somebody had lighting unless they did stuff like this. Um, but he, like, did one role was primarily in the kitchen, one role was primarily like, so, like a small apartment, right? Was primarily in the hallway, <laughs> the other role, role was like kind of in the living room. And so they kind of like, and they would splice the videos and stuff like that. What was hilarious is that they were all sung by him. You could tell, like, there was probably like recordings from some thing that he's done. And he just overlaid it over this thing where so mm-hmm. his only role role in it was just acting. So he was acting out the different characters in the different parts of the house. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was just so funny. And not to make this sad again, but like he posted it into this classical singer group and we all take ourselves really seriously. And like nobody had commented on it. And I was like, that is that like he obviously put some kind of work into it otherwise he wouldn't be like splicing videos and audio tracks anyways yeah. <laughs> I was like I was like I love it you know I just replied because I was like why would you hate on this why would you cricket for this amazing cool thing oh there's so there, I think when that stuff happens it's like jealousy and they will it's like want to wow you, you did, did that, that? You know, like I would, I would never be brave enough to do that. You know, and so I think (laughs) that's what's going. Maybe they couldn't do it. Yeah, but I think it's possible. Whatever you can do is good enough, right? Because he didn't have lighting. He didn't have like you know a a cape or whatever else is usually the costume for certain things, right? He just did it what he with what he had. He. Yeah. It goes back to the inner self and being the thing that you perform is that if you strip away the costume and all that stuff that makes you get into character, you know, do the thing that you do, can you still perform? Can you still do it? And if you can, that means you have done that inner work. You've done that practice work. You've done that deeper work. And it's so fulfilling. It feels great to me. Even like when the like if someone responds to you in a way that makes you feel less than this is kind of what I'm doing with that meditation group, which is queer based is like, 
it's like, don't measure yourself based on how someone else responds, even if they're really crappy, you know, well, like you ha- know who you are and then you just allow for that. They're doing whatever they're going to do and you're going to be who you are and well, you don't have to deal with that. You're going to keep doing what you're doing. Having the experience. If you're pretending to have fun while you're doing karaoke, but you're worried about hitting all the notes, then you're, you're only, you're only hurting yourself, right? Like nobody else cares <laughs> yeah. if you hit all the notes or they wouldn't be at karaoke. Mm-hmm. And then, like, yeah. this is you yeah. to have the experience of having fun, right? Um, and he obviously had fun with his reporting. Like, whether or not everybody was like, oh, that's fabulous. You know, that would have been, that would have been nice. It would have been extra. But he didn't need that in order to have had the fun of creating something cool and having that experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he was doing like what he wanted to do that was making him happy. You need to to float your boat. So maybe that's that's what we can think about, you know, as like a closing thing for this meditation or this meditation, sorry, for this podcast. It is like turning the spotlight within. When you turn the spotlight within, what do you see and what can you do? There's so much that you can do, you know, listening to your own voice. And um, having it open up to listen to others and to have listening be really considered an active thing, not a passive thing. You don't just take something in and then now it's in there. You can't like do anything with it. You're like, oh, I'm stuck with this thing now. I don't want this thing. And so heavy. But you can actually, when you actively listen, you can choose to whether you want it to keep it and hold on to it if it's helpful for you or let it go. And that's also part of that process I was talking about with meditation, but goes with voice too is allowing for your when your body needs to be active to to perform and do something to create change and to transform to do to make it you know an aria or to you know to do a breath practice to change the physiology of your body it will do that but when it needs to actually relax and just be at rest it 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 will know how to do that too and allow for yourself to do that that is like a self-care self-love you know, thing yeah, to do. So we hope you have a lot of fun opportunities to listen to yourself in a real way and mm-hmm. to just get creative and be crazy about that. Thing. Yeah. 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 Yes. And I just want to say, this is like a political thing. <laughs> I realize like for me, the privilege that I have just being able to be at home, the fact that I don't have to be out there, you know, like I have a friend right now who's a doctor and I think just recently he's able to be at home because he has a child. But before that he was out there and he had to be separated from his child, which was very difficult. And then other people who are service workers who don't have this privilege. So um, I just wanted to, you know, acknowledge them right now and just say thank you for everything that you're doing. And hoping that perhaps taking little parts of this too um, for that situation and for all of us who are able to stay home are lucky enough to have that privilege. So I did just want to say that before we close. Yes. All the people that are out there just doing the work, whether, whether to me, like the health portion is obviously so needed, um, but even the essential workers, because even if it's only because they have to, Sure. Um, we're we're privileged yeah. to to be in that boat, and I and we I still you know really value all the work that they're doing that 
still makes my life so super comfortable, even in the midst of, of this craziness going on. And I feel like it, it gives us even more of a reason to uh, respect and, you know, constantly be kind to our service workers, yeah, even when COVID-19 is over to just like realize everything they're doing to, you know, um, to keep our economy going, to keep, to keep us with the products that we need or desire and, you know, whether it's restaurant workers or, you know, delivery people, just like making sure we give them the respect that they deserve and need, uh, regardless of what's happening now. I think it, it could be another thing that we bring, that we take out of the situation, not just environmental yeah. types of practices, but that practice of yeah. kindness. Yeah. So awesome. I want to just close with that. Sure. Yeah. So this is, so this was our third episode of Ephemeral, uh, Voice Matters, and the title was Turning the Spotlight Within, Listening to and Your Own is, Voice. I'm oh, sorry. My Go name ahead. is Shannon Wong Lerner. I am a, oh, I'm a PhD and, and communication Harris, consultant coach. and coach. And we look forward to having you for our next